This is a story about a guy seeking a spiritual path that will make his mind feel better. Is depression funny? I think everything's funny. I think everything can be funny. And I, I will say this to my brothers and sisters that might be struggling. It certainly is interesting. It's the Hilarious World of Depression, Season 4. I'm John Moe. You, dear listener, keep this show going, and we love you. You're kind and smart and funny, and I like your hair. There was a smiling baby in the front room of Pete Holmes' Los Angeles house when we walked in to record. Baby Leela, one year old now, and she just kept smiling. Smiling and smiling. She looked like an enlightened little Buddha. After setting up in the studio house out back, Pete Holmes came in and he smiled just as much. We're in my house. We're in the garage of my house. Um, and who are you? And I'm, well, I don't want them to know. Okay. That way I can be more open. <laughs> Pete Holmes has been a stand-up comedian for 18 years. He created and starred in the HBO comedy series Crashing, based on his life and career. That series recently ended. Pete is the host of the popular podcast, You Made It Weird, where he talks with famous guests about issues like comedy, sex, and God. He's the author of the new book, Comedy, Sex, God. Here he is from his 2018 HBO special, Dirty Clean. I'm being real with you. I don't know how smart animals are. I know they're different levels, right? They're different levels of smartness. Like my neighbor, he has two dogs. He was telling me that he has a big dog and he has a little dog. And when he goes out of town, he has to tape newspaper to the reflective glass of his fireplace. Otherwise, listen to this, the little dog will see his reflection and think there's a second little dog stuck in the place that he's only ever seen burst into flames. So he's just like, hey! he's a goddamn hero. <laughs> but when my neighbor told me that his little dog doesn't understand reflections, all I heard was, the big dog does? <laughs> it doesn't take long to get to profound areas in a conversation with Pete Holmes, even off a pretty simple question. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Boston. I'm not just trying to be on theme. I feel that's a very depressed... Place. <laughs> yeah, but Boston, I don't know. I think places that are laden with identity have more suffering. Whether or not it manifests as depression, I found there to be, and I, I love visiting Boston, and I think people that live in Boston, great choice, stay there, beautiful city, great food, great people, I get it. For me, the, one of the reasons why I don't live there, I'm not Dennis Leary, I'm not going to like buy a place in Boston. <laughs> like like when, when Dennis Leary made it, he was like, first thing you do, get that, get that condo on Lansdowne Street. That is not my relationship to Boston. 
It's because talking about one of the feelings of depression is isolation. And I really felt out of place in Boston. I can't drive. I can't fix a car. That's like a big pride in Boston. I'm also not a sports fan. I don't know which came first. I think I just happened to naturally not enjoy um, that thing. I was going to say that conceit. Well, I was, I was like that say the ball that. needs to be in that basket. Like I've just <laughs> talk about looking at the world differently. I'm like, guys, it doesn't have to be there. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I'm a basketball fan, but it still never escapes me that they want to put it in the basket, but yet there's a hole in the bottom and it comes right back out yeah, again. It's not life completely fruitless. That's what depression feels like. <laughs> well, in Boston, you're like, what's the point? It goes in and falls out. In Boston, it's it's not just the sport itself. It's the culture. It's almost the religion. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So there's a lot of identity in Boston. Right. And I find identity is one of, it can be wonderful, but make sure it's your fucking identity. And then like when, when it is a religious sort of fervor where it's like, live whatever dream you want, just make sure you're the architect of that dream, right? And that goes back to drinking. That goes back to a million things, being a comedian. It's like, make sure it was your idea. That's to me what a fulfilled and fulfilling life is, is going like, like George Burns says, I'd rather be a failure at something I love than a success at something I'm not. Mm -hmm. Just make sure you chose it. And what I saw in Boston was a lot of people who aren't, I don't think it's in their blood that they love the Red Sox, but they'll do it to sort of fit in. Yeah. And that's a type of sadness that well, I to see. have a group to to be yes. to be assimilated to some into extent. the Borg. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. And it wasn't for me. And that's why that that town, it felt very good for me to leave it. Pete Holmes has been on some kind of deliberate spiritual journey his whole life, looking for where he did belong, where he could find peace, really. It's always been at the front of his thinking. He was a devout Christian growing up. I mean, extremely devout, way more so than his parents or his brother. He was also way into punk rock as a teenager. He was in a band. He played all ages shows. My dream was to be a pastor with a mohawk. I thought, like, deal with that, conventional norms. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then I, I got Nirvana Unplugged. Nirvana Unplugged came out, and I loved Nirvana Unplugged. And he sings that song, Where Do Bad Folks Go When They Die? Yeah, They don't go to heaven where the angels fly. And I'm like, well, at church they tell me if you kill yourself, you go to hell. Here's a guy who killed himself singing about how bad people go to hell. And I just got the willies. I, I, I was laying on top of my bed with my Walkman listening to it. And it, and it just really, I think it was like I shaved my head the next day. I had like long hair. It wasn't very punk, but I had like a long rebellious haircut. And I like cut it off. And by the time it was senior po portrait time, I look like a youth pastor. I'm wearing like a white collared shirt. I have like a buzz that's a little too long. Mm -hmm. It's not like a cool buzz. It's like kind of like you in between. Are you growing it out? It was just like a weird buzz. And I wore khakis every day. I just changed. Why did you shave your head? Because I didn't want to go to hell. Like I, it, it hit me. Was that, that a symbol of I'm going to join society in the polite way? It was more like I had very, very long, very, very greasy hair that I would sometimes color with magic markers, like red and stuff. Uh -huh. It would go behind my ear. It was like my thing. It was my identity. And I was like, I think I'm going to double down. It was a choice based on fear. Fear of hell. Fear of hell, fear of not being a good boy. And I was like, okay, I've had enough time. On the wild side. Yeah. I'm going to get in line. And I did. That's when I decided to, I started leading the Bible study at my high school. 
Um, and I decided to go to Gordon College, which is where I went, which is a Christian college. And it was because it wasn't, I'm making it a better story because that's what I did. I'm sure it was a million factors, mm -hmm. but one of them was considering that a bunch of grownups who I trusted, the people at church, would tell me he's in hell. Yeah. And I was like, so having a very sometimes binary mind, I was like, what is the point of doing anything in this life other than making sure you go to heaven? I, I had an older brother, six years older than me. And when I was about 12 and he was 18, he just said, oh, of course there's no God. There's no hell. Scientists agree on this. I don't know how he brought scientists into it. He read a lot of Omni magazines. <laughs> and and it it was the most world-shattering thing that had happened because he was an older brother, so therefore, you know, about. a hero. Thank you, John. And I really feel very seen and heard because we forget yeah. what it means to have an older person tell you something. That's why in my book, over and over, I'm like, these people had keys. Yeah. They had cash. Yeah. They had dress shoes. Credit and cards. Telling they could me, go wherever they wanted. Exactly. And they're telling a child who has what I call in the book a very earnest what is this a very earnest curiosity about reality and they're saying look we've been here four decades longer than you we figured it out here's what it is still terrified of hell pete discovers improv comedy at gordon college he gets a job in a christian theater troupe out of college he meets a girl there he gets married tries to break into comedy in new york as a devout christian stand-up comedian that's how it was for several years. And then... Well, my wife had an affair and um, when I was 28. So this is crazy. We're <laughs> I'm 40 now. So I'm like, how could I have been 28 <laughs> and getting divorced? <laughs> like, they just shouldn't notarize the paper. My marriage license should have been written on construction paper with crayons. Like, yep, you're married. Like Get the, out of here. That Japanese candy paper that you yes, can eat. Yes, <laughs> we should have eaten it at the end of the, of the ceremony. But um, I got married when I was 22, again, because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. A lot of times people obviously are, are trying to fix something, my parents' marriage, uh, by rewriting the future with a good marriage. And my marriage was good, as good as it could be, meaning we didn't argue. There's, there's no like, well, that's the problem necessarily, other than I wanted to live in the city because that's where comedy was. And she was a country mouse. Turns out that that was like indicative of a, of a bigger issue. Mm. When we ended up splitting, she, she just basically told me that she didn't want to be like my partner. You know what I mean? She didn't want me to like flare up bright and shiny and, and she didn't want to be like also there. Yeah. But my wife was very honest and I, I, um, it sounds like I'm just being a nice guy. I mean it. I appreciate her honesty and I appreciate her getting out when she did because she knew that she didn't want that. At the time, though, it was devastating. And I felt like I had been paying God, like the mafia, for protection. And this is what I had been taught. And this is what I believed was I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't swear. I didn't have sex before marriage, kind of. Um, <laughs> but like, I also went around with that dirty secret that everyone's going to hell. That's a heavy one. It's a chapter in his life that shows up on Crashing. In this scene, he's just walked in on his wife with another man. Lauren Lapkus plays Pete's character's wife. What is going on? I'm sorry. I just came home one day and I found like a bowl of cereal in the bathtub and your 
your socks were on the kitchen floor. So? So you have an affair? No, I'm just saying, it's like you you need a nanny. I'm turning into your mom. I don't want to be your mom. What are you talking about? We're happy. Peter, you're happy. I completely support you while you pursue your dreams. Yes, like a wife supports a guy in medical school. It's like I'm in medical school. You're not in medical school. You tell jokes for free that cost us $40 in gas, okay? You've been doing this for so long. Shouldn't your act be better by now? And when your entire life in this world and the next is based on obeying God, that weakening is a big deal. If I behave this way, listen to it, the infinite mystery that was so vibrant and alive that it erupted into the Big Bang, that mystery hates me because I jerk off. This is the God that I was dealing with. It's a bad God. It's it's a it's petty a, certainly. It's petty. That's what I mean, Richard Rohr. We made one like us. We're petty. We're ashamed. We kick ass. We hate our enemies. It's like Jesus. One of the reasons they killed Jesus. Is he's he's anti-capitalist. He's anti-power. People always say religion just boils down to be a good person. I'm like, does it? You think they killed a guy because he went around saying just be a sweetie? Like, wake up. It's so much crazier than that. It's so much sexier than that. It's, it's like, dangerous. It's fucking cr fun. Mm -hmm. But it got turned into people who are like, my dad will be like, you're better with it than without it. Better with the fundamental idea that power is an illusion? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I don't think you know what you're talking about. People don't know what they're talking about when they claim Jesus. They don't know what they're talking about. They think they're talking about polity. Or not saying motherfucker, or I think I think your shirt is great, but if I think your shirt is stupid, I don't say anything, and then I'm on the team. And you get some points. So we're on the phony team. Pete mentioned Richard Rohr there. Rohr is a Franciscan friar and spiritual author. Rohr's books are among the many books on spirituality in eyeshot of where we sat for this interview. I thought if I behave a certain way, God will protect me. Then my wife left me. And like the mafia, I was paying him, and yet someone still vandalized my bakery. And I'm like, well, this isn't paying out. I'm, I'm gone. Breaking the deal. Uh, he didn't hold up his end of the bargain. So I was like, well, then I'm going to smoke, drink, swear, and have some sex. I didn't do it right away. Every movie that a guy gets, his wife leaves, it's just a montage. Yeah, you didn't have a montage. Sex. There's nothing like that. You're sad. Yeah. My dick didn't work. If my, my dick was depressed, I, I love this. I hope it doesn't make you guys uncomfortable. I would lose my erection while masturbating. That's what depression is. Like you can't even get yourself off. <laughs> like you're just like, you have to laugh or you cry. I mean, like we can do both, by the yeah. way. Both are fine. But like that was a very, very dark time for me. But like I had lost my Santa Claus God. I had lost my Jiminy Cricket God. I had lost my buddy Jesus who, who I really was kind of paying out. There's a lot of scary stuff in the world. And I liked going around believing that somebody was going to keep me from that. So I became an atheist because if you're, you know, I say this all the time, it's a very compassionate choice. It's a beautiful choice. Mm -hmm. If you're like, I can either be an atheist or I can sign up with these people who believe that every Jew who died in the Holocaust got sucked into a second hell. It's a way more, you are far more Christ-like to say, guess what? That's all bullshit. 
Of course, when you renounce all that you believed in and your marriage falls apart and you have depressive tendencies already, well, youch. I remember sitting at a sushi bar. This is after my wife left me. I was doing stand-up at a college. I was just eating. It's often when I'm eating alone. It, it, it just It's not a good thing for me to eat alone. I'm eating alone because that, that's a trigger for me is like the thing we have to do. I need this. All right. Like you're blowing on your soup alone. It's too hot. <laughs> it's too hot, but in a moment it'll be enough and I can put it in my belly because I need it. It's like it's just built in vulnerability. It is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It's like almost like jungle logic. Like you see an animal eating alone. It's like like sharks only attack for the most part people when they're alone. There's just something going on about alone. And I remember just really wanting uh, to not exist. I didn't necessarily want to like jump off a building, but that is as close as I came to being this uh, was after suicidal. Yeah, I was sitting there. I, suicidal, I believe, is planning or thinking about killing yourself. I just didn't want to be anymore. I was just like, man, this is heavy. It would, it would be a relief to not exist because right now existing is, is feeling this. He also threw himself into his work, into comedy, the one thing he could still be a member of. And it goes well. He gets TV writing jobs, does stand-up on Jimmy Fallon and on Conan. Here he is on Conan in 2011 talking about why he likes magic. I was at a show recently where I saw a man fly. Listen to me. I didn't misspeak. A man, a wingless mammal, took flight. You're not thinking, imagine if I flew right now. If I could figure out the muscle in my butt that I need to flex, that's working, and I just took off. I flew above the audience, picked some of you up with me, we flew around. Best night of our lives. And I saw this, and suddenly I'm eight again, and I'm filled with majesty. And a guy next to me, I don't know this guy, who's this guy? Leans over me and goes, some magnet. <laughs> Magnet, he can't fly. Magnet! <laughs> First of all, shut your mouth and enjoy the show. Second of all, that explains nothing. What does that mean? He stuffs his pocket with magnets? The stage is a magnet? That would look terrible. I think those are just two things he doesn't understand. Like, I don't get magnets, and I don't get this. This is magnets. His Conan appearances led to his own show following Conan on TBS, briefly, The Pete Holmes Show. Here's Pete talking with his friend and fellow comedian Kumail Nanjiani. That was, that was the worst thing I ever did was, do you remember? Uh, My roast? Yeah, I did this joke. Should, and, I preface, should I preface it with the joke I did about you? Yeah, sure, go ahead. And then I'll tell you the joke I did and I still feel horrible about it. I said Kumail Nanjiani is here tonight which means Aziz is somewhere out there making him irrelevant. <laughs> it's the Pete Holmes show, class for the <laughs> No, no, no. Do you remember? I tell you that because yours is worse. Okay, this is what... <laughs> so now I'm down here and This is okay. what my joke was. I can't believe I'm gonna say it while your dad's here. <laughs> I said... I had just gotten divorced. Yeah, and I said, uh, hey, Pete, your ex-wife called. I'm joking, she would never call you. She's too busy with the new baby. In my defense, she had just had a new baby. 
was so new. <laughs> Pete so Holmes sorry. is having some success <laughs> in comedy, but at this point, spiritually, he's like something out of a Mad Max movie, wandering the wasteland, lawless, desperate. But then he finds something new. That's in a moment. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by health partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illnesses, not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having some laughs on this show. It's a good way to deal with depression, maybe demystify depression a little bit, make it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. This is a serious illness. The good news is that people can and do recover. They get help. And that's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. That can be an awkward conversation, of course, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use. What to say, what not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org where you can take the pledge to Make It Okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. Hello, Thwad Balls. Hey, here's some exciting news. I have written a book called The Hilarious World of Depression. Catchy title, huh? It's a memoir, and it's about the times my life intersected with depression. When it emerged, how it evolved, how it tried to trick me, how it tried to kill me. It does that sometimes. And how I came to understand it better and how it all led to this podcast. Along the way is insight from people you've heard on the show. There is darkness, yes, but a lot of laughs, too, and a lot of hard-earned wisdom. I think it will be good to own. The Hilarious World of Depression, the book, will be released in May, but you can pre-order now at hilariousworld.org. Back with Pete Holmes, here's some comedy from his special Dirty Clean about yoga pants. Lululemon is high-end yoga wear for assholes who don't do yoga. And I am one of them. I am one of those assholes. I like it. I love it. My guy friends give me shit. They tease me for wearing, for wearing Lulu. They're like, there's a mint section? I'm like, yeah, you gotta look for it. It moves around. You can find it. They think women don't like a guy in a Lulu. I disagree. I think women like a guy in a Lulu. Because if I go up to a woman wearing Lululemon, it does all the work for me. Before I even say anything, it non-verbally transmits. Just, hey, relax. <laughs> Nothing bad is about to happen to you. No one has ever gone up to a cop like, you went that way! All right, so Pete lost his Christian faith, which had been at the center of his world. But in that absence, he became interested in stuff that you could call new age thinking or consciousness or mindfulness. Authors and teachers like Ram Dass, Joseph Campbell, Eckhart Tolle, Richard Rohr. The idea he was drawn to and the idea which he is now delighted to talk about comes down to this. You're not your thoughts. You are the observing presence seeing the thoughts. A lot of teachers will say, it's like the thoughts are clouds the whole time you were the sky. 
there are a lot of analogies you can use to wrap your head around this thing, but it comes down to seeing yourself as separate from your thoughts and feelings. You're the screen, Pete told me. You're not the movie that's being shown on the screen. The movie ends, another movie begins, but the screen, you, stay the same. And this has brought Pete Holmes peace, which isn't to say he doesn't also have anxiety. And the way out for me, even though I use a spiritual vocabulary, is to go like, there is anxiety. I am witnessing anxiety, but I'm over here and I am okay over here. So when I have anxiety, I used to pray that Jesus would take it away. And when he didn't, or when it didn't go away, I felt guilty because it was my lack of faith that didn't make it go away. So now I have another thing to be anxious about. And now I just go like, this is directly quoting Ram Dass. He goes, wow, look at that anxiety. Hmm. I don't know if people get over anxiety like this. This is a big one. This is a heavy one. But it's that place of non-resisting, non-judgmental, quiet, still observing. And when I'm in that place, it's not just a good remedy for anxiety. It's also where joy exists. It's also how you can... I just had a flight that was delayed six hours. That's how you can enjoy that too. You just go, I'm always home. In, in the comparatively non-spiritual uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, there's this idea that the, the feeling comes, you honor it, you, you say, oh, okay, I see you there. You notice where it is in your body that you feel it. Yeah. You don't try to shut it out, but you recognize it as... Not you. A thing and not okay. you. Not you. Yeah. That's it. You are not your thoughts is it. And don't believe everything you think is it. Right. And that is probably the most useful thing. I go the spiritual route. Again, I don't care how other people get to it. We had Rachel Bloom from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on the show. Mm -hmm. And she talked about uh, a, someone who told her that the birds can fly into the barn and you can recognize that there are birds in your barn. You don't have to build them a nest. Yeah. That's what meditation is. And then the reason for meditation, it's one of the things meditation is. And the reason we do it is, is to learn how to do it in our, in, as we just said, in our waking lives. Mm -hmm. So you look at it, your consciousness like a river, like your thinking mind is a river. And every thought is like a, a leaf in the river. Just let it go by. Mm -hmm. This isn't working. Let it go by. So that's all interesting, even poetic. But how does it work in the real world? Like when you have to go to the post office or clean out the garage or just have lunch? Me and my baby went to lunch and I felt, I love the word despondency. I felt despondent and I felt sad. I often feel these feelings right behind my eyes. There's almost like a weird pain to them. It's like, it's also a little bit like wading through a swamp. You don't really, you can't, you don't have your hands on it. You know, you feel this, the mud in your toes and it's cold here. It's hot here. It's, it's scary. There's bugs. That, that's kind of what it felt like. And it felt like a real, what's the point? And my old method and my old attractions to other techniques would be to get rid of that. And it would also, I'd go further and say like the fact that I was feeling that way, but I've been liberated by Christ, haven't I? I have the love of G-C-H-R-I-S-T and my H-E-A-R-T, we would sing. So <laughs> what am I doing feeling this way? It's bad and there's dissonance. That's right. Yeah. Now, 
I am the universe feeling despondency. What do you mean you're the universe? I'm just this. It doesn't, we don't have to get too trippy into unit of consciousness. I'm just saying, I, we can just say, I am Pete feeling despondency. Yeah. I am Pete feeling despair. I'm Pete feeling sad. And you, it's, and again, I can't, I'm not here to diagnose or treat anybody else's. I'm just saying what helps with me. I say yes to it. It's not, yes, this is awesome. And also it's not, yes, there's an emergency. I better try to feel better right away. It's just, yes, I see what's happening. It's one of the most confusing things to my brain. It wants me to engage. It wants me to fight it. And I go, ah, I get to, I get to feel, as I just said, despondency is just a word. I was feeling it. It was like a museum. There are all these rooms. I could be like, no one else knows in that set. Or I can be like, I get to tour this really shitty museum. <laughs> but even shitty is a judgment. I get to tour this museum. Mm-hmm. It's like my friend Michael Gunger wrote this book called This, one of the best books in the world. And he says you can apply it to other things. Going into the ocean, we can complain that it's cold. Or you can trip out with a hard, active yes and be like, I get to experience this intensity. I am among the ocean. I am the ocean. Yeah. This is life. The only pain is to feel nothing sort of thing. I am feeling the ocean and give it that yes. Pete's not saying this will work for everybody, but it works for him. He had thoughts about that a while back at a meal with a former hilarious World of Depression guest. I have to be careful because I, like my friend Gary Goleman, who's doing a one-man show about depression right yeah, now. Gary's Gary had a wonderful episode on our show. I about bet that. he did. I remember having dinner with Gary, who I love very much, and he was in the middle of it, and that that gave me a new respect for. I don't want to call it real depression. But I have my thing, and I only know my thing. And then I had dinner with a much more extreme case of it. And I was very deliberate to not... I'm a, I'm a guest on a podcast now. I, I always take that as a green light to talk as much as I want. Sure. And, and I enjoy that, obviously. But with Gary, I was like, I just want to be with him. I'll just be with him. We'll just eat. Hopefully we can laugh a little bit. But I'm not going to give him any advice. At one point, it was too tempting or something. It was too delicious. It came up somehow, which is what Ramdas says about depression, which is also in my book. I, I summarize it in my book, which is, is the part of you that's noticing you're depressed, is that depressed? That is, it's almost like a koan. You know what I mean? It's something you should really meditate on. It's not right. really, the point isn't not how answerable. you answer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The point isn't how you answer yes or no. It's the search that'll, because we look at we, I guess I am part of a group. We talk about awareness being like a flashlight. So we shine it around. That's who I, that's who I like to say I really am. I'm the light. And I shine the light and I go, oh, there's depression. There's horniness or there's asshole. I'll leave a party. I'll go, wow, Pete was really an asshole. That doesn't mean I won't work on it. But who was it that was noticing and going like, yikes, he really lost it? Or like, you ever eat a sandwich and you eat it real fast and go, boy, I was hungrier than I thought I was. Who is talking to who? (laughs) 
<laughs> like, what the fuck? That's so normal to us. I was hungrier, the body, than I thought it was the mind. I, I suppose you could just say it's the mind. Yeah. But I'm like, there's something observing all of this that's not it, that's somewhere else it almost feels like. So I asked Gary that, and he was like, yes, it is depressed. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm done. I tried one. I saw Gary uh, like a year later, and we talked about it. And he, you know, on the other side of it, he can understand what I'm saying. Um, what's the difference in how you talked about your religion uh, when you were younger than how you talk about your spirituality now? I, I notice in in your body there's a relaxedness, there's a there's a <laughs> smile on your face when you talk yeah, about this. Right. But when you talk about where you were before, it sounds like there was a lot of. Fear, um, maybe from anxiety, maybe yeah, from depression. Not surprised it's a hit podcast, I gotta <laughs> tell you. These are hot questions. Because you're right on the money. Yeah. I went from telling people about Jesus because I was told that I was supposed to and that that would help me win brownie points again to avoid hell. We were told it was the good news, but it wasn't good news. I went around thinking that you and you were going to hell. I'm talking about this on stage now. It's a weird secret. Mm. to meet someone and they're like i'm ira and you're like oh nice to meet you so sorry yeah you seem nice and you write yeah. about this in the book perfectly nice people and and you were hesitant to really go into it because i didn't really believe it and i i don't want to speak for other people but for me my intuition and my heart my heart intelligence did not fully line up with what I had inherited. But the worst thing that we got was the secret and quiet belief that we all had to carry around that everyone you know, for the most part, even other Christians that are just doing it incorrectly, are going to a real place where they will conscious living torment is what we believed in. Conscious, so no like annihilation. You're there, you know you're there, torment forever. So that's a nightmare especially when you still believe in the Easter Bunny and the and Santa Claus and all yeah. that stuff. It's hard so they're, to square. Yeah. Kids are gullible. Yeah. We don't know what's going on. We need help. And that is abuse to me is someone goes like, we know. Like if they wanted to say like, this is like one of our theories. <laughs> I mean, right. Like maybe we could work with that. <laughs> this is option and, C. And ask the child who's closer to having just been nothing, who's fresh and wise and unclouded by all your false identity, bring them into the conversation. Let them be a teacher like the Quakers do. They often have deep respect for children in that way. But um, so I went from trying to save people because I was afraid. So it's a fear-based model to now when I, I love talking about it. It's my favorite thing to talk about. But I have no desire whatsoever for you, John, to think what I think. That is what I used to do. I need you to think that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. I need you to think this prayer. Beliefs were just things that you thought every day. Do you know the difference between like the love I have for my wife and thinking that I love my wife every day? Mm. I love my wife versus an ineffable you know, solar flare from yeah. inside of me. That's the transformation that we're after, right? But I don't care how you phrase it or put it. I want you to be in love with the mystery and I want you to be free. That's all I want. So how you get there doesn't really matter to me. But when it comes to freedom and when we want to talk about anxiety and finding some sort of respite from that, which is the only place that I found that is this, is is identifying as consciousness, as finding a way to live as a spiritual being. Not to be right, 
not to be in, not to be rewarded later, motherfucking peace right now by shifting the fundamental mechanics of how you interpret reality. That's the value of spirituality. This kind of consciousness has been great for Pete, being an ocean or a movie screen or a universe. He also got help from a very straight-talking therapist. Because I grew up with so much sex shame, I, I was in a hotel and I could hear the people next door having sex. And that was very conflicting for me because it's, it's, it was sexual. <laughs> like it was like, it feels naughty. You feel like almost like a pervert or something. So I confess that to him and he just goes, it's very erotic. <laughs> and people sometimes come up to me on the street and they go, it's very erotic. <laughs> and that is just, that's what therapy is is for some reason our mammalian brains want an authority figure. So I got a male because that is how I was wired. Mm -hmm. I got enough mother love. I didn't get enough father love. I mean, that's oversimplifying it. You know what I mean? I vied more for my father's attention. I got a lot of my mother's attention. Let's put it yeah. that way. So I got, so I'm a big believer in playing the game, even though we can go, oh, I'm over here, I'm over here. I'm also doing the work, got the father figure to be like, who cares? I, whatever I said, if it wasn't hurting somebody or hurting myself, he'd go, so what? Who cares? And you needed to hear that. Apparently. Yeah. Week after week after week until eventually I can do it myself. I told you that like, and he's proud of that. He doesn't chase me to try sure. and get that sweet cash. He wanted to make a machine that could do it for himself. So I'll go to a thing and I'll be like, wow, I was so, for whatever reason, I hadn't performed in a while or maybe I was uh, lonely, but I really hijacked that party and I was a real look at me and I was interrupting people. And then I just go, so what? Work, like, if you don't want to do that, work on it. Mm -hmm. But it happened. Who cares? Yeah. It's okay. You were an asshole. So what? <laughs> people are assholes asshole and you just laugh you're like oh god i'm an asshole sometimes it's great <laughs> so what that's what therapy was we would talk about a lot of theories and things that have stuck with me but the thing that really stayed with me was the so what i'm sure there are people out there who stick with one set of religious or spiritual beliefs their whole life just like there are probably people who have one career ever i guess i've met a few people like that but not very many and less and less often. I think a lot of people are on a journey. In Pete's 40 years, he's been a devout Christian, a dedicated punk rocker, a hardworking comedian, and a scholar of spiritual philosophy. You're noticing a pattern. Yeah. That I try things. So obviously it seems- You enjoy like, membership. I like members. That's true. I love membership. I, I got really into- one time when I wasn't working very much, I got very much into poker. I think comedians like that because there's all these terms. Mm -hmm. There's all this stuff that you need to know. We like that. And, and it's it gives performative it, too. And it's performative and it gives our brains something to do rather than look at ourselves. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and comedy can be that. Mm -hmm. So it stands to reason that Ram Dass and all these, all the stuff that I found now, I, I think what you're asking is what makes this different? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what makes it different than all the other things that you got obsessed by, but also yeah. did it eliminate the turbulence or have you just found a more effective way of accepting the well, turbulence that's and managing it? That's exactly. I used to pray for peace 
And now if I don't have peace, I, I say yes to that. The suffering comes from the resisting. World of Depression is a production of American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Christina Lopez is a producer for all things digital and several things analog for that matter. Phyllis Fletcher and her brain help with editing. Our technical director is John Miller. Our theme song was written and performed by Rhett Miller. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 1-800-273-8255. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by health partners and by makeitokay.org. Make It Okay is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illnesses. Makeitokay.org has information that can help you and your loved ones. Starting a conversation like that, that can be awkward, but Make It Okay has tips on what to say and what not to say. It has stories of hope from people who've been there. You can take the pledge to Make It Okay at makeitokay.org. Hilariousworld.org is our web home. You can listen to all previous episodes there. We're also on Twitter and come visit us on Facebook too. A lot of great conversation happening over there with your fellow thwadballs. On our next episode, Whitney Cummings was in no shape to accept the truth, despite seeing the truth of her shape. People suffering from a true eating disorder can't see the same way you can see. You want to just go, how do you not see how thin you are? I mean, I remember a... This psychiatrist put me on a big piece of paper and I had to, and she drew my outline of my body mm-hmm. because I was so off the grid in terms of what I looked like. And I remember thinking that she was lying. <laughs> I watched her wow. do it. And I was like, no, she's intentionally moving the marker under my leg. I'm John Moe. Bye now. This great big smile is just for show. Sad clown, tell me something I don't know. Would you say I'm a sad clown? Tell me something I don't know.